This morning's title of the message is Wisdom in Family Life. I need to preface something before we begin. Um, obviously, we will talk about marital relationship and parenting. But some of, some of you are not married and um, thinking that, oh, this message is not really for me. No, this message is for actually everyone because God's word is for everyone. This is our relationship with not only our children, young children, but our relationship as adult children to our parents. And this is our relationship about our relationship with our spouses, yes, but some of you uh, look forward to marrying sometime, and this will be applicable as well. And it's interesting that some of you talked about conflicts. As you listen, listen for yourself rather than thinking, my husband should really pay attention to this. <laughs> with that in mind, let's... Um, Turn to the family life and wisdom, which, which either way is uh, the, the correct question that I would like to ask. Why is family life so important in living wisely? Or why is wisdom so important in family life? Both are true. But I want us to have this mindset as we're going into the into the. Uh, Today's reflection, how important, crucial, fundamental this is. There are at least four things. Here's one, first one. Family life is where our true character is revealed. Maybe some of you are doing well in your career. Maybe some of you made several promotions over the you know, past couple of years. And let me tell you this. No matter how popular, how well-respected you are, our true self is when we're at home, doing family life with our uh, children and our, our spouses. And that leads to second point. Family life is where wise living and once again, this is a cinnamon. Wise living in Proverbs says righteous living, uh, godly living. This is where it begins. It starts. So any one of us who want to be godly, I want to be a godly man this year. I want to be a godly woman this year. Don't start outside of your house outside of your family life. Start right there. Third point, it is the family life is the most formative place of learning wisdom. This has a lot to do with our responsibility as a parent as well. But in terms of even learning, as uh, maybe some of you will get married as a brand new couple, that's the time that wisdom is being cultivated. Formative years are the ones that the new family starts. So when you, the first couple of two, three years of marriage is difficult time to adjustment, but that's when wisdom is being formed in, our, in us, guidance. And some of you are starting to feel the adjustment difficulty, whether you moved from somewhere, whether you're starting a new job, and that's another formative time. That God is building new discernment and character and wisdom in there. And precisely, what Eugene Peterson defined, it is correct. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully wherever actual condition we find ourselves, which begins our home, our family life. And fourth and lastly, family life is where, where godly values are cultivated. And the fruit of wise living is celebrated. 
We're talking about teaching our children cultural norms. This is what healthy, godly Christian family look like. Okay, take that Christian word out. This is what God designed for every family. It looks like this. Happy, godly, healthy family. No wonder one and only Leo Tolstoy in, in his famous book, Anna Karina. Some of you probably read that in your English literature or some of you heard about it, at least the title. Tolstoy was a Christ follower. He said this, all fa happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Oh, that's wise. When you think about happy families, health, happy and, and um, wise families, There's a lot of common principles, common factors you see, which is from God. Whether they follow God or not, if they are really living in the wise principle, and you see there's a common factors, common principles of wise living, happy family. But if you derail from that, what happens? There are so many diverse ways to be unhappy. And we know it. You get online, and there's weird people, and not only Walmart pictures, but all these postings you see, there's some weird families. And very strange, strange, and not only the strange, but evil, wicked families. There are child abuse going on. There's spouse abuse going on. There's all kinds of different sinful ways that makes us unhappy. So today, my goal is this. As we look to Proverbs, rather than thinking about just kind of old, boring principles that sounds very dutiful, let's open our hearts and listen in such a way that Man, I need this this week. In my relationship with my husband and my, my wife, I need this in my parenting. I got to do better in this. Or I could apply this. Oh, I didn't know this. I'll be the first one to admit, as I'm studying this and meditating, my heart was stirred. The stirring is not just the excitement for joy that I've been doing so well. There's a lot of convictions and corrections as well. And those are good things from the Lord. Do not be afraid. Don't take your attention away from what God's Word speaks. How, how shall we do this? Chapter 19 of Proverbs has a handful of good principles of wisdom and principles for family life. But it would be very limited. So unlike the past messages, this one, we're going to free ourselves and get out of the chapters a little bit. So there are several verses. Then my suggestion is at least write down the verses that you could look it up again. There are four different things that we're going to look at. The first one is we're going to look at spouse-to-spouse -spouse relationship. The reason why I didn't say husband-to-wife, husband it's not just only one way, but the wife to husband as well. My summary for the wisdom is this. Love and respect each other faithfully as a covenantal relationship under God. I need to unpack a few words here. Love and respect is the wise principles in our marriage. And that love and respect also includes fulfillment and enjoyment. And then covenantal relationship is it is a covenant that we make 
it before God and before our witnesses. Covenant is permanent covenant. And some of you already asking is, what if I marry the wrong person? You know, the one that you're married in God's sovereign providential will is the right person. God uses even your mistakes and misleading of that decision going into the covenant. God sanctifies your marriage. And many of them in, in Christian history, many of godly men and women, they had a really difficult marriage. And God used those marriages to humble them, to continually sharpen them, to spiritually form them. So that as a preface, let's look at a few passages from, starting from chapter 19, 14. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. It is God's handpicked blessing for you. Not only to the husband, but the prudent husbands are gifts from God as well. Chapter 5, 15 through 19, and talks about being faithful in loving and being enjoy, enjoying and finding fulfillment. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. That's an analogy and biblical way of saying, be faithful to your wife, be faithful to your husband. Enjoy things from your spouse. I think we need to celebrate this one more time. I, I did read, read, read this verse. Yeah, there's a rated R verses in Book of Proverbs. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Go crazy in loving her. Celebrate your love life. What, what happened? In our society, the porn industry goes on, and then everything that was so beautiful in God's eyes. A special gift. That's why the pleasure is on another level. Special gift of union with our spouses. The evil one took it and put it in the dirty water. So Christians think of it as something like, I, I must not enjoy sex too much because I might be a pervert or I might be dirty-minded. Let me say clearly this. Think about this wisdom. The old days, the cultural norm was it was okay to men to find career and find really things that he could devote hard, whether it's leading, whether it's politics, whether it's farming. But the marriage, purpose of marriage is not necessarily love like modern days. Purpose of marriage is continuing legacy. I need my children. I can't do it alone, so I need to have a woman. And that woman is strong and big pelvis, you know, that kind of things. We all know this, the old grandmas looking at the granddaughter-in-law-to-be used to be that. Standard was that. And it was so permissible in typically other cultures, and even in Asian cultures also too, to find your sexual pleasure somewhere else. Think about it. If your wife is busy bearing your children, and every year she might have babies, the last thing that you could think about is sex. 
but even all days, the biblical wisdom is, no, don't do that. Put all things in one basket. She's your best friend. She's your lover. Be intoxicated in your love with her, in your love with him. So not only for men, for all the uh, men and women, look at this side of life and celebrate. Make love in the name of God and glory of God. And I'm not kidding on that. You glorify God that way. Chapter 2, verse 16 to 17 gives us another side. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman if you focus on your wife or focus on your husband and being faithful, keep your covenant before God and be with your spouse. Verse 16, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, forbidden relationships, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. That's basically the covenant of relation of marriage. Chapter 19, verse 13. A wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Chapter 21, verse 19, in the same theme, it is better to live a desert land and then a quarrelsome and fretful, nagging wife. <laughs> so whenever you read, you know, God created man, don't think about it as just a male kind only. So in, in our today's world, when we apply this, like, you know, we could say quarrelsome, Nagging, critical husband. Oh, that's a headache too. Right? It shows the wisdom coming together. Let's just keep going a little more. Chapter 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. That's um, vice versa as well. We build into our spouse, and then because of love and affection and sharpening one another, we see each other's growth. And then publicly, that becomes very it's something that we, we're proud of. And my prayer is that every single one of us after 30 years of marriage and 40 years of marriage, that as we're celebrating, we should be able to. We, I pray that we would be able to say, she's the crown of my life. He is crown of my life. I am so proud of him. So proud. In the similar theme, chapter 31, has a two verses that I like this here. The, the heart of her husband trusts in her. In verse 28 of the same chapter, her husband also, he praises her. So rather than thinking about why can't you be the crown of my life, <laughs> praise her. Trust in her, in him. Let's recap. There are four things that I like to recap with. Number one, in our spouse-to-spouse -spouse relationship, acknowledge that he or she is a handpicked blessing from God. Number two, be faithful to each other, resisting temptation to look fulfillment elsewhere. I got to show you something about this one too. Something I missed is 
fulfillment elsewhere is not another relationship with another man or another ma woman. It could be another hobby. Your fulfillment comes from something uh, like golf or mountain biking. <laughs> or hanging with your girlfriends. I'm talking about women, right? So you don't really pay attention. <laughs> the wives, I'm talking about, you know, instead of, instead of paying attention to your husband when you spend time together, you're playing, what kind of game would what might be? Number three, focus on building up each other, trusting and affirming each other. Number four, be God's loving tool in shaping each other's character. And that's Ephesians 5, bigger picture of God's wisdom that we're coming out of the Proverbs for the first time. And we'll try to stay in there. The Christ picture loving the church it's not because we're lovely, but get this, to make us lovely. The washing, there is no you know, blemish before his eyes. And the day will come then when we get to heaven, there will be an eternal marriage with our Lord Jesus Christ. And then one of the lies about the romantic love, a Jerry Maguire movie that started. And if you look for, oh, I like this focus on my husband, my wife. If you look for this kind of love, she, he completes me. That's a lie. Jesus completes you. You will be disappointed over and over, no matter how well-meaning the guy is, the girl is, you will be disappointed. So would you look to Jesus and love the imperfect husband, imperfect wife, not yet wise husband. Long way to go, wife. And be God's tool. Iron sharpens the other iron. It's not only men's group verse. In our marriage also too. Second area is parents to children. Here's a, my summary of the wisdom from the Proverbs. Love and train them to become a wise person. Don't just glance over it. Look, reflect on our culture. What's the goal of parenting? We'll probably say something like love and affirm and to become, for them to become successful. I mean, West Coast is a little better, but some of the East Coast people will say obsessed about sending their kids to Ivy Leagues. And maybe, you know, some of our kids are doing well. And, you know, our third son, uh, Seth, just got a letter. He got, he got into this, accepted by this uh, science and math specialist kind of school called Colum Columbus School. Col say again? Columbus School Magnet Program. So we're so thrilled that he's so motivated. And he even wrote on the application why he wants to get in. And he said he wants to do well because I'm thinking about going to Stanford or UCLA. But that's not goal of marriage. I mean, goal of parenting. The goal of parenting is we're responsible to train them, raise them as a wise, equal, the synonym, godly person. There are a few verses. Verse, chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. 
wise son hears his father's instruction for chapter 13, verse 1, but scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Let me stop here. I think especially Asian culture, and Western culture in, in, in many senses like that too. Here's the typical co concept of a good father. He works hard outside, brings bacon at home, and just provides a lot of things. But when it comes to teaching anything, training anything, especially spiritual training, leaves to the wives. You're not wise. Fathers should take the, the first step of training and teaching wisdom to our children. Mothers also, but there's a concept that somehow I, I work hard to get money and my wife will raise my children. And that's not biblical concept. We are to be the first one who begin to have a conversation with our kids of what's right and wrong, what's godly and what's not godly, what's wise and what's foolish. We are to have first conversation with our kids about sex and sexuality. Preteens, and they, in awkward moments, Soren and I, I mean, Silas, Soren and I sit down and said, I say something, and then, because I wanted to have to talk, right? And Silas goes, oh, no. <laughs> and then Soren goes, can we not talk about this? It makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> True. He's telling the truth. But we, if we don't teach them, where are they going to learn? Like that dirty water thing in the internet or the the middle school, high school locker rooms with kids. Let's go on. Chapter 3, verse 12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, him who delights. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to, to death. Chapter 19, verse 18. I'm going to hold myself up about disciplining a bit. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from it. Chapter 22, verse 15. So I want you guys to get the picture. The traditional understanding of disciplining. The goal, it was a control. Still many places control, strict control. To control the kids, you need to whip them. Use the rod. Spanking, you know, member them. And the very modern days, contemporary, more educated people are, the more liberal the thoughts are, the goal of parenting becomes affirm them, and help them have a good self-image. Biblical wisdom is not neither. They actually, these need to come together. If we, for example, take the control part and, and uh, you know, use a rod and spank them and then control them, What's going to happen? We've seen so many of those people up until, until 18, when they're in high school, they have to obey. And all of a sudden, when they have a first freedom to going into college, not only they leave physically, but emotionally and spiritually leave. There's so many dropouts, church dropouts, when they go to college. Because we control them. And thinking that this is a biblical knowledge. No. Okay, another aspect is uh, we just need to affirm them. And there's no discipline. The boundaries crossed and the foolishness, you know, 
folly is bound up, in, mean, which means that children are naturally foolish. We are to teach them what is right and wrong. And they, their world is revolved around them. Unless we tell them, when you do that, others feel this way. That's why Jesus said, in Golden Rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. Would you want to be treated that way? And you want to be selfish? You know, everybody's selfish. Think about that. Would you think about your, your, your brother or your sister? Would you want them to share when you have nothing? When you, when you want to play with their toys? All those things. But what happens is, here, the kids make mistakes. We just, oh, his personality. Or something. Right? So what happens is we spoil them. Or we kick them out. And walk, keep away from them. And there are fathers who are crying. My friends. And telling me, I can't keep a, get a hold of my son. He will not come back. Christmas time, two years in a row, they haven't come home. What do I do? You don't have a control anymore. Right? So think about this. The word rod of discipline, discipline first. Discipline means more of a coaching, a trainer. Think about trainer, coaching. When you're an athlete, you wear the Winter Olympics right, right now. If coach controls everything, the player is restricted in some sense. Doesn't work. Or the player gets lazy and he doesn't want to do it that way. She doesn't want to do it that way. And then, oh, just affirms him. Affirms her, what happens? He doesn't improve. He doesn't learn. The rod is not necessarily physical sticks only. That biblical language of authority. Use your authority. You are, you are given the authority from God. You are to be responsible with that authority. Or biblical days, it was really literally spanking. So what is very helpful in studying this, it became such a clear idea that I feel convicted as well, is actually verse chapter 22, verse 16 is very guiding verse. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Nowadays, most commentators, scholars will say, the train up a child in the way he should go is the way that it fits his personality, uh, his strength. Instead of you make up your mind and you, you create your own rule and, and give it to them, you know, push into them, force on them. Think about how your child is different from one to the other. It makes total sense to me now. Because when I think about sight, the second one, it's so different. I need to have a lengthy conversation. Spanking doesn't really work on him. He actually, kind of evil way of rebellion is, you know, I want to get hit. So he has a face of, you know, rebellion. I'll show you I, t I could take the pain, get that kind of thing. But if I sit down with him and put him in, you know, go to your room. Let's, when you get ready, I want to talk to you. That's still authority. Because he can't play, go back to his games. So he will come. And I'll have a conversation. And he's thought about it. He re he's ready to reason with me. And that's enough. But sometimes, the kids like Sawyer, he's so loved and you know, he's rambunctious and he's not afraid of anything. And I warn him, and so one spanking, he changes. He actually hugs me. 
He loves me for that. So some of your children, if you treat them the same way, then you might crush their spirit. If you treat them the same way, you might spoil them somewhere. So each child, we need to have a different way of coaching them and training them. Would you think about that? But we are still responsible. Do not let that responsibility go into some kind of you know, authority figures and just buying into their whatever, whatever they're saying. You know why? Because like I said, the, what Proverbs is saying is our goal is to make them wise. Think about what, what that means. Being wise means discerning what, what's right and wrong. Discerning what's right, wise and unwise or foolish. Those things are values. Deep down values. The godly values. More liberal the people are. They would drift away from that. So there are some blogs and, you know, because of social network, we are so exposed to things like that. There are some comments about, you know, when you go to relative's house and some, you know, your grandma, you know, there are children's grandma gives them something and then he or she doesn't say anything. I said, what do you say? Or say thank you. And then the blogger is talking about in order to respect our children's uh, freedom and their own personality and their own makeup as an individual, we should respect them and never force them to say anything. So think about what, what they said, right? We have the authority given from God. We are to teach them and train them. Rather than that, He's human being, child, just small. I'm human being. We should respect each other. That's not biblical. That's abandoning our authority and our responsibility. Third area, I mean, let's uh, recap. Number one, teach them wisdom and discernment through God's word. And modeling, if you teach God's word only, and you live differently, you talk the talk and didn't, don't talk the walk, walk the walk, the kids will not buy into that. So would you help me? Would you help Kate? Would you help our elders' family also too? That as we teach our kids, that we show congruence in our life at church and life at home, and the way we relate to our colleagues and the way we relate to our kids, it's consistent. So they begin to see that. Uh, one, one of the things that I'm going to say is our parents made a mistake. We're going to make the mistake as well. But God's grace will come bring those, all those things together. But we need to be sure that we're continually and looking into God's wisdom through the book. Number two, discipline them early on proactively to train them for wise and godly living. Customize or don't use everything on every kid. The goal of wise parenting is neither controlling them or affirming them, making their self-image better. It is to take responsibility to equip and coach so that become, they, they could become wise. What that means, when they step out of high school and they go to college, they are equipped with skills to make discernment, to choose God, to run to God, to run away. Avoid the things that are toxic. And then, really, the proof, the test of our parenting is when they leave. On their own. 
So this is my application I would like to share. A key application for this wisdom in parenting is loving firmness. If you're firm and don't love and affection and, and grace, kids will break and run away from us, drift away from us. If you just love and affirm and there's no firmness, we're going to spoil them. Third relationship, children to parents. My summary for this is listen to your parents as a young children. But forever, last part, applies to adult children as well. Honor them. Chapter 19, verse 27. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Chapter 23, verse 22 to 23 and 25. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. 1913a. A foolish son is ruined to his father. 15.5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever he is reproved, is prudent. Oops, before I show you, let me say a couple of things here. Um, I think when it comes to teaching our children to listen, and, and this is the principle that they are to really pay attention, it goes hand in hand. Unless we're proactive of teaching them, They will not have a chance to, to respond and heeding the advice and instruction. But as we're growing up, we are to do that. Since everyone in this room is adult children, the focus is in honoring our parents. And I, 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 I was mesmerized about this commentators and biblical thinkers and preachers kind of coming together, synthesizing for me. Think about this. We have a lot of broken parents. I mean, some of our parents had a rough neighbor, neighbor, and they're the dysfunctional family, alcoholic family, and they were beaten and abused. And when they grow up, what can you really expect? So we got really dysfunctions, and they can't really affirm and critical and, and just damages your spirit, and you grew, you grew up with that. Biblical wisdom and command is not like your parents. It's not even love your parents. The word is honor. See, they despise, do not despise your parents. Mother, when she's old. When you think about Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments is the fourth and first commandment is for the relational is honor your mother and father. Oh, this is wise because it does not depend on the quality or character of your parents. When it comes to honor, show respect. Give them proper place. So let, let's summarize this way. For young children, it is God's will to listen and obey parents' teaching and instruction with respect. In so doing, children will become joy to parents rather than a sorrow or ruin. For adult children, the key wisdom and God's will is to honor our parents. And therefore, mark of a wise person is in their practice of honoring aging parents. I feel convicted. So my mom is 79. She repeats the same thing over and over. 
I'm 50 years old, and she still tells me I need to eat vegetable. <laughs> she leaves me about three or four minutes until it, the voicemail stops, because you know she said you don't really listen when I calls you about these things like this. She's not trying to be funny. She goes, Paul, I like everything about you. I'm so proud of you. And you are used by God. But God's servant must not be fat. <laughs> She's not trying to be funny. I feel convicted because I brushed off and I yelled at her. And sometimes I hung up on her because she would not stop. And she, her hearing is bad. So I said, Mom, Mom, Mom. And she, start, she keeps on going, right? I'm indebted to Tim Keller when I find these advices from him. It's so practical. I hope you could uh, take home and apply some of that. He offers five ways to honor our parents. Number one, show them respect by he said, culturally appropriate symbols. He's so wise in that, in that way. In other words, when you take a picture, show them respect by putting them in the center. I saw some pictures on the, on the corner. Grandma or grandpa is sitting there, and all the young kids are just in the middle. And culturally, that's not appropriate. It shows the respect. And especially in the Asian culture, where your father and mother sit shows the respect as well. Don't sit, sit them in the corner. It's usually the head table. Um, just because we don't care, that doesn't mean we, we should not use these appropriate symbols. You might not be too much of Asian at all. You're born here, you're just, and you might be married to non-Asian guys or gals or married to Asian family, but you could still use, and in that respect, Henry, you do that so well. So it's a little bit of gesture and bowing, you know, shows the respect. Number two, we could honor our parents by expressing our gratitude for the good things that we got from them. Either from their training as well as from their heritage. And he says, don't ever underestimate their need to be affirmed that you got something good from them. Which is so true. So they will never get tired to hearing that. Dad, I'm organized because you taught me all these years. Mom, thank you for gi giving me good gene. I look, I look so great. <laughs> My skin's good. Something like that. Thank you for teaching me that when I was younger, to be responsible for with, with my finance. Number three, don't stereotype them. And let them change. We have a self-fulfilling prophecy to our aging parents, right? So telling them, you never. We didn't want to hear that when we were growing up. Now we are saying that. And to my mom, I need to change that. You don't stop, mom. And, and I will go on and on. Is you are, you know, impossible. Use, using those words. I'm confessing my sins here. <laughs> I realize to believe in mom and affirm, him, affirm her and let her change. Let God deal with her. And you could apply in your own ways as well. Number four, forgive them. If you don't forgive your childhood, and I, I think Keller is really wise in this, in the sense that he says, if you don't forgive them, you haven't grown up. 
they're still attached to there's a cores attached to you you're affected by them but to be wise and to become adult means letting that go of course some of you the dysfunctions were severe you don't have a good memories my heart goes out to you yet don't live as a victim forgive them forgive them Tim Keller concludes with this fifth one be liberated from that don't get obsessed about getting their approval pleasing them because you are on your own now the greatest honor is that my son has gone before me and beyond me my daughter is has become beyond my limitation beyond be on your own you don't have to get your mom's and your dad's approval anymore and lastly i want to conclude with this what does proverbs say about developing a culture godly family culture my summary would be fear the lord and cultivate the way of wisdom as a lifestyle we need to continually practice that and practicing becomes habit and habit becomes value and value becomes culture few verses chapter 19 verse 23 the fear of the lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied he will not be visited by harm chapter 19 verse 20 to 21 listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future many are the plans in the mind of man but it is the purpose of the lord that will stand oh that's the last weeks the wisdom of humility develop that what would that look like when your spouse is sharing an opinion that differs from you listen be humble Chapter 19, verse 1 and 22. And this is about integrity. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. If our kids see that, they'll follow. But if we are wealthy and we are making all these excuses, not living integrity, they will become like that. Verse 22, what is desired in a, in a man is a steadfast love, loyalty, someone who is true to you, someone who doesn't lie to you. But a poor person is better than a liar. A few more. This is about laziness or need to be diligence. Chapter 19, verse 15 and 24, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep. And an idle person will suffer hunger. The slugger buries in his, his hand in, his, in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Isn't that kind of funny? <laughs> but you know what that symbolizes to us? It gives us? The principle is this. If you get lazy, if you choose lazy, it has a slowly just paralyzing effect. If you're lazy... Do, do you know what I'm saying, right? I got to clean that up uh, tomorrow. And then somehow after week, weeks, you get paralyzed. What, what is wrong with me? Like, I guess, so I got really fed up studying this passage. I got challenged and fed up with my not cleaning our you know, shower thing. The tile is gross, like disgusting. If, if I feel that, well, how much... Kate will feel it. So I bought some tools, and I'm talking about big, thick things. Like, so I, I'm not embarrassed anymore. It's not, you know, like it's old tile, so it's still not like the brand new uh, towel, a brand new tile in the bathroom. But I'm not embarrassed because I worked hard, sweated, 
And I think it was a good workout, it was a couple of hours of good workout there. But once I move, I could do it. Verse, chapter 19, verse 19. This is about our temper. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. In other words, we're going to continually repeat the sins of wrath in wrath. And there are several verses on anger. But for the sake of time and space, I just kept one. And then lastly, chapter 18, verse 21, like we, sh- we talked about, this is speech. Death and life and the power of the tongue we could make someone die in their heart and become alive with just one timely golden word. So in our, in our family life, we ought to be awfully cautious our children's pickup. I'm, I'm not talking about only foul languages, but negative languages, critical language, cynical language, those things, snobbish language, prejudiced language. I'm not sure whether you're motivated more to learn more and you go back to Proverbs, go, go to Proverbs yourself. It just was really good for my soul, and I'm so thankful, not only for this preaching, but for my own life. I wish I could go on, but you know, I spoke enough, so let's stop here. Our conclusion and wrap up in the godly family culture. Godly culture is the way of wisdom. It is cultivated like farming. It takes time. Don't hurry. Be patient but keep doing the same thing. It starts with our own fear of the Lord and integrity. Avoid toxic things. Pride, dishonesty, hot temper, anger, laziness, and unwholesome speech. Instead, practice humility, integrity, slow to anger, which equals self-control, diligence, and wholesome speech. Brothers and sisters, we're not perfect. We're not preaching moralism here. We're talking about running to God and continually drawing from his power and his strength and his wisdom to live out. And may our families become beacons of hope in this culture that Simpson's family becomes normal. And the kids don't turn away from the ugly things of that. For husbands, I exhort you and charge you to become godly, wise men rather than the, how the TV or media or culture uh, portrays as a very wimpy uh, person who is very indulging himself only, but it's kind of a little stupid in some sense. The wife always have to scold him. That's the picture that we see a lot in TV culture. Be a godly man who takes responsibility, rejects passivity, and running to God with integrity. For ladies and sisters, continually Build, cultivate the culture at home. Practice with your own life, with your kids, and with your husband. And I think the best job that you could really have is continually creating that safe home. When your husband comes home, not necessarily only good food things, but the culture, the environment, the positive spirit, affirmation, praise, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful wisdom that you provide for our family. There's so many things, but teach us to focus on our first steps. 
and we give you glory and, and honor. We're determined to follow your wisdom. Help us to encourage each other in so doing. We pray all these things in the, in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.